Good morning, Hope Church. Really great to be with you this morning. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us through another week. Lord, we remember our nation at this time with so many dying and we ask that you would undertake and that you would move on our behalf. And Lord, this morning we pray, would you help us? Would you equip us? Would you speak to us in Jesus' name? Amen. I want to come off the back of last week where we looked at the warning that Jude gave, where we looked at the encouragement and how we should encourage one another, and also about the great task of, that we have in fulfilling the Great Commission. A first step in that really is to make sure that we're in the right place that we are in a position of strength in Jesus. Now, we all need help. In many ways, our own history works against us sometimes, as do our experiences. We have weaknesses, uh, we have failings, and we need help in those areas. The world recognises that and produces um, tons of self-help books that are out there to try and help people to move forward. I want to cover some big areas and focus on some big areas that will help us to move forward in Jesus. These obviously come not from self-help books, but the teaching of Jesus. And we're going to specifically focus on the parable of the sower to give us the outline. We have covered the parable of the sower in the past, and so my focus will be somewhat different. Um, but we're looking at definitive ways that we can move forward. Let's start looking by reading the parable. Matthew 13, reading it from Matthew, verse 3 to 9. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, this is one of the few parables that comes with an explanation. And so this helps us to understand what Jesus is teaching us through it because he gives the explanation to his disciples. Matthew 13, verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, 
in another 60 and in another 30. Now today we're only going to focus on the area of the kingdom because I think it's a really important concept to grasp. And the seed, it says, is the word of the kingdom. It's talking about the essence of the gospel, but it talks specifically about the good news of the kingdom of Christ. Now, this kingdom is obviously different from the world that we live in. Remember that both John the Baptist and Jesus started their message with, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist in Matthew 3.2 and Jesus in Matthew 4.17. They were pointing to something other than the world we are already living in. The word for kingdom refers to the domain over which a king rules. This king is Jesus and the kingdom is the kingdom that he rules and reigns over. This is important because each kingdom has its own power. And this begins to explain why Jesus's kingdom is so attractive. It didn't follow the current kingdom's rules. In Matthew 4.23 we read, and he went, this is Jesus, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. How is it possible that Jesus healed everybody of their afflictions and diseases? How does it come that he cast out demons? Well, the simple answer is because it was part of his kingdom and he is the king of that kingdom. So this first section today deals with a kingdom that we choose to live in. Choosing the world's kingdom, as we shall see, will remove all of our strength and power. It will lead to frustration and disappointment, whereas living in Christ's kingdom will bring life. It will also lead us into freedom. It will lead us into deliverance. It will lead us into fulfillment and joy. And so this is the section that we're looking at today. So we come to my first main point. We must choose in which kingdom we are going to live. Now, this may, may sound simple and obvious, but it needs some unpacking. Every country in the world is a kingdom of sorts. It has its own government that rule it, and they make the rules of how that kingdom works. We've seen this recently with Brexit. No longer does the UK have to follow EU rules because we've separated from their kingdom. The kingdom of the world is pretty easy to understand because we can see it, touch it and feel it. Uh, we naturally default to it because it's the world that we live in. Jesus's kingdom, however, applies to wherever Jesus is lifted up as king. His is a more expansive kingdom and we won't see its fullness until he returns. Jesus's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Now, what's really important is that spiritual doesn't mean it's not visible, but there are aspects of it that are not visible. It's equally important to understand that the world that we live in is also a spiritual world. It's a spiritual kingdom and the world chooses to ignore this. Let me clarify for a moment where we're at. We have two kingdoms. We have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, and we'll explain that a bit more as we go. Every human being needs to choose 
in which kingdom they will live in. And in making that choice, they will end up submitting to the rules, rulers and powers of that kingdom. There is a temptation to think that the world's kingdom is benign, that is, that it's not harmful to humans, that it's a neutral zone, or that it's only harmful if humans make it so, but in and of itself it's neutral. Let me tell you, that idea is wrong, and it's extremely harmful to us. The Apostle John taught in 1 John, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This may be a startling surprise to many, but the world that we live in is under the control of Satan. Now, John isn't the only one who says this. Jesus makes a very similar comment. In John 12, 31, he says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And we know that that prince is Satan. And again, in John 14, 30, Jesus says, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming, he has no hold over me. And then again, in John 17, 15, Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And so it's really clear that the kingdom of the world is under the control of Satan. It is a world that is precarious and dangerous to us. It is a world that is dominated by Satan and worse, it is a world in which he is forcing his values upon the population. This may not be a popular view, but when you look at what's happening around the world, it begins to make complete sense. The violence, the exploitation, the greed, the murder, the hate and the selfishness all reflect the character of Satan, who is its king, not God. By contrast, Jesus' kingdom is completely different. It is a reflection of his character and values. In his kingdom, diseases are healed, demons are cast out, the poor are fed and clothed, the dead are raised, forgiveness is offered, and we are adopted into a new family. These are all demonstrations of Christ's kingdom. Now, in the world, these things do occur, but when they occur, they are really operations of Christ's kingdom. If we took out all of the acts of God's kingdom in this world and it breaking through in this world, we would see a really true picture of what this world and its kingdom is like. We know that in a scripture that the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the character of God are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, also gentleness. If you removed all of those from our present world, you would end up with Satan's kingdom in its totality. It would demonstrate his values and it would give you a taste of hell. Now, don't kid yourself. Every expression of goodness comes from Christ's kingdom. It also begins to explain why the world deteriorates the more that we eject Christ's values and his commands, uh, the more the world begins to reflect its ruler, which is Satan and his values. And this brings me to my second point. These two kingdoms are constantly in conflict. 
they cannot coexist. Anyone familiar with the New Testament knows this. Luke 16.13 tells us, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I'm always amazed at how many people think it is possible to live in two kingdoms, but it's not. No more realistically than, than you can be part of two different nations. At some point, you will reach a point of conflict. The Apostle John has a lot to say about the danger of loving the world. And if you remember, he was the disciple that Jesus loved especially. John says in John 21, Peter turned and saw, sorry, this is about Jesus loving John. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. It's referring to John. Now, this is what John says about the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now James the Apostle was even stronger. He says in James 4.4, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Enmity here describes a state or a feeling of active opposition or hostility. What does that mean? It means those who love the world actually, by doing so, hate God. Now, this leads me to my third point. It's imperative that we choose to live in the right kingdom. One of the lessons we learn in the Old Testament is that the Israelites had to separate themselves from the nations around them because they were God's people. Now, you won't hear me say that we need to stop interacting with the world and you're not going to hear me say that we need to stop connecting with people in the world. That is not part of the Great Commission and Jesus himself did not do this. But what you will hear me say is that we do not live as the world does around us. We do not live by their values. We live by Christ's kingdom. We do this by faith. We do this by our lifestyle, following his values and trusting in him. The values that we follow and the person we trust is simply Jesus and what he taught us. We live according to Christ's values as found in the Bible, and we trust in Jesus, not in the world. This will become more difficult as the world continues to align itself more and more with evil values. We can see that throughout the world. If you look at the updated world um, list of persecution, India has moved massively up the scale because of what it is doing. We will find that there comes a point where we have to choose Jesus over the world, and in doing so, we will face open persecution. This already happens in China, North Korea, India, and many other nations. Even in our Western world, many churches choose to live by values that are not Jesus's. How do we know this? Because they ignore the clear command Jesus gave in Scripture. 
Now, as we conclude this morning, and we'll continue this theme next week, I want to emphasize why this is so important. The kingdom of the world is ruled by Satan. And Satan's kingdom and Christ's kingdom, the kingdom of God, are in constant conflict. We know as Christians that God's kingdom brings freedom. Freedom from so many things. These many things can be traced throughout the life of the church in the New Testament. The church is God's expression of his kingdom. Well, it should be. For example, the church across the world and across history has been the greatest provider of humanitarian aid. Why? Because that is part of the expression of Christ's kingdom. Jesus is about loving and caring for people in his kingdom. Where doctors cannot help, where mental health can only prescribe debilitating drugs, Jesus can actually bring true healing and he can bring true deliverance from the demonic and Satan. And we need to remember that Jesus brings these. But he brings these through his body and we know that his body is the church. That's you and me. And we are transported from the world's kingdom, from Satan's kingdom, into Christ's kingdom the day we uh, repent from our sin and draw in faith towards Jesus. And so it may, means that we are engaged in a cosmic battle between good and evil. Satan, the god of this world, is looking to remove every vestige of Christ and his gospel from the world. And the church needs to fight back with truth and with spiritual power that is greater than Satan possesses. They are different weapons than the world uses. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. We need to be engaged in this battle but it's a spiritual battle. We have been given spiritual power by God. He has given us spiritual weapons. He has not left us disarmed. We are his army and we are the hope of the UK and the nations around us and the world. We need to choose where we're going to live and where we're going to fight and where we're going to be in these two kingdoms. We need to make a firm decision whether we're going to live in Jesus's kingdom and all of that involves, including our lifestyle, including our engagement and participation so that we are not passive. We need to choose which kingdom we will serve. We cannot sit on the sidelines. Many years ago, Joshua, the man of God, had to make a decision about where he would stand in regards to the nations around him, the world that he was living in and serving God. And he said this, If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates 
or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The conclusion of this morning is that it's absolutely essential as we move forward that we recognize that we are part of two kingdoms. But we need to choose to live in Jesus's kingdom and by faith appropriate all the promises, all the weapons, all the things he wants us and to live by faith in that kingdom and see its power expressed. And as we do that, that kingdom will be expressed through us and it will change the world. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for today. I thank you that you have placed us in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, in God's kingdom. And Lord, that you've made available to us all the weapons of that warfare, all of the tools that we need to be victorious. And that we have the Holy Spirit living in us and he leads and he guides us. You have given us your word and your word directs us about how we are to live and what we are to do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us not to have one foot in the world. Help us not to look longingly at the world, desiring its things. But Lord, help us to see the kingdom and all the joy and all the fruit of the spirit and all the power and all the freedom that it brings into this world. And so, Lord, I commend ourselves to you and ask that you would help us. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day.